Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Hello, welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I am your host, Kara Corinne Safeli. I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm at Kara's Kitchen on Instagram. Come say what's up to me if you're listening to the pod, but you're not hanging out with me on IG. Um, if you want to join the private Facebook community, please do that. You can just search Love Your Bod Pod community on Facebook. It'll pop right out, uh, pop right up. I'd love to have you in there. I created that space for you for for all of you so that you have an opportunity to connect and to share your victories and share your struggles and your hardships because having an eating disorder and struggling with food and body can be really really isolating and we can feel really lonely and we can kind of feel like no one understands like I know that sometimes sharing what we're going through with people in our lives is hard not only because it's very vulnerable, but also because sometimes like they don't understand. If you've never dealt with an eating disorder and disordered eating, it's kind of hard to really understand what we might be going through. And so I created that Facebook page so that you guys could connect. And I've popped in there, I don't know, every every few days I'll pop in there and I'll share something or I'll ask a question to spark some conversation. Um, so I'd love to have you in there. Uh, it's free. It's a resource. It's a community I'd love to have you utilize it. Um, and earlier today on Facebook, I had shared that I had a really rough night. It's Tuesday while I'm recording this. It, go li- it goes live on Wednesday. Um, and I thought about whether or not I was going to share that. I kind of was like, I don't have it in me to post a thoughtful caption because sometimes those captions take a lot out of me to put together. Um, or I was like, I could just not post today. And then I just had the thought that maybe I would just be really vulnerable and let you know that uh, I have bad days too because I I re- realize that like I don't really share too much of my personal life on Instagram. I, I mean like I really don't. I'm, I share quite a bit of myself on the podcast but I'm kind of on Instagram like giving you little snippets here and there or I'm doing some Insta coaching. Um, you know I don't really consider myself like an influencer where I'm sharing my whole life with you. Um, I'm a coach and so I use Instagram for business in a very specific way. But I don't want, but I also realize that like I'm a human being and the people that work with me are working with me, Kara, the human being. And I wanted to, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable. I just bought three Brene Brown books. (laughs) You know, she has that amazing TED talk on vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is our superpower, superpower and it connects us. And it reminds us that we're human, real human beings having real human experiences. So anyways, I haven't checked Instagram yet, like since I I responded to a few comments and then signed off, Uh, but I'm feeling a lot better. It's like four o'clock now. Uh, Just made some dinner waiting for my boyfriend to get home so we could eat and um, I'm excited to open up the app later. Hopefully people were nice to me. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Um, but yeah, like I, I struggle with stuff too. I don't want you to think that my life is perfect or, or that just because I've healed my relationship with food and I've healed my body image um, and I've healed my eating disorder that like I still don't have struggles. Like I have insecurities and uh, fears just like all of us, you know. Um, yeah, wanted to make sure I addressed that. Anyways, today we have a really awesome guest with us. Uh, her name is Dana Monsi, and she's really cool. She's badass. Uh, I really love her firecracker personality. I've listened to some of her podcasts episodes and she does this like coffee talk thing on Instagram, which is really cool. Um, and I was on her podcast last week. So go ahead and give that, um, check that out. It's uh, real talk with Dana and you can find that, um, on iTunes as well. Uh, She used to be a Whole30 coach and she recently made this like huge shift in her business, which you will hear about, uh, to start working with women uh, and helping people heal their relationships with food, which you may or may not be aware, but that was very much my journey as well. Like my, all of my first health coaching clients were like real food and like weight loss clients. And I eventually got to the point where I realized I couldn't I couldn't help people lose weight anymore knowing what I knew right like all of the education that I've gathered over the last two years having my own struggles with food and food and 
And so I shifted, I pivoted in my business. And Dana did the same thing. And I found her because this post went crazy viral of hers uh, where she announced it. Anyways, enough of that. You'll learn all about it in the interview. It's super awesome. I think you're going to love it. And so let's just dive in. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today, we have a really awesome guest with us. Her name is Dana Monsies. She is a certified nutrition specialist and body image coach teaching women how to heal their relationship with food and their bodies and break the diet cycle for good. She's the creator of the Healthy Living blog, Real Food with Dana, and the host of the popular Real Talk with Dana podcast, where she and her guests discuss all things nutrition, health, fitness, and mindset with a healthy side of sarcasm. When she's not doing her nutrition thing, Dana spends her time being a dog mom, hiking, traveling, coaching, swimming, competing in Olympic weightlifting, and sliding as many Harry Potter quotes into everyday conversations as possible. Dana, welcome to the show. (laughs) I always laugh whenever anyone reads my bio because I just love that last line so much. <laughs> well, it shows your personality, so I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah. No, I'm totally excited to, to chat with you. All right. So let's just dive into the questions. Uh, one quote that I have been very inspired by lately is this. You may be 38 years old as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you're afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you, or shoot at you, or bomb your house, so you refuse to take a stand. While you may go on and live until you are 90, but you are just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90, and the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an early death of the spirit. And that's by Martin Luther King. So recently, you've made a huge transition in your business, shifting away from being a certified Whole30 coach to now working with clients on healing their relationship with food and body. Can you tell us about what had you finally decide to speak up so boldly and pivot so drastically, even if it's unpopular and goes against the grain of a lot of conventional thinking and wisdom around health? Yeah. So in the beginning of January, I made an announcement in my business that I was expecting to be much smaller than it actually ended up being, (laughs) um, of kind of closing one door in my business and then opening a new one. And I would say for the past year, I had started to work with my clients individually on working on their relationship with food and their bodies. And that was a component of my business, but it wasn't the face of my business really. Um, And at the time I was also working as a Whole30 certified coach because the Whole30 had been a part of my background and it had been a part of me starting to heal my relationship with food and my body in the sense that it brought more awareness to the problem. I will say it did not fix my relationship with food and my body. Um, And so I thought when I was working as a coach and working on group programs with these people is that I started to notice these patterns um, probably a year ago or maybe even more than that. Um, So late 2017, early 2018 was that people were kind of just using the Whole30 as yo-yo dieting and they were going on and off and they were doing multiple rounds a year and then it was turning from a Whole30 into a Whole100, Whole180, all of these things. Um, And I thought as a coach that all I had to do was just educate people more as it's not supposed to be used this way, it's not supposed to be used as yo-yo dieting or as an excuse to binge eat because what I also saw starting to happen was that people would start a Whole30 on January 1st or, you know, whatever it was. And the preceding days to starting that Whole30, they would just binge on all of the things that they weren't going to be, you know, quote, allowed to eat for the next 30 days. And then you would see the same pattern on day 31 if they weren't either educated about reintroduction or they had just been following the yes, no foods list, or they'd just been missing those foods so much that they just went whole hog afterwards. And so I figured that doing more education around this could help people kind of break that cycle. And I started to realize during, let's see, in the next couple of months, so the first couple of months of 2018, I started to realize that even if I was putting that message out there, both privately in the Facebook groups that I was running and 
publicly on my podcast, people either just didn't want to hear it or they were really offended by what I was saying. And we all know that if you, if certain ideas or thoughts are really triggering for you, it's probably because it's something, it's a reflection of something that's going on internally, or maybe it's something that you struggle with or something that you don't even realize that you struggle with. But when someone else is pointing that out to you, it then becomes like, oh my God, no, there's no way that can't be the thing, you know? And so if we're being realistic, people don't need help with doing whole thirties. People who do whole thirties are really good at doing whole thirties because people who are abstainers as Gretchen Rubin would call it are really attracted to the yes, no foods list to the black and white, because it's just easier for them to follow the rules when you're taking the responsibility away from yourself and giving it to someone else, or even just establishing a list of rules for yourself. So that was the problem is I wanted to work on the gray areas with people, not the black and white. And people just weren't hearing that message. So I finally tried like a last straw approach in September. I ran a group with Kate again and we figured like, if this doesn't go that the way that we want to, where we're only the way we marketed it it too was like, this is specifically going to be working on your relationship with food and your body from the day that we start the whole 30. This isn't even really about the program. It's learning what your body is telling you during the program so that we can kind of fix this relationship that we have afterwards. And I had started to see both in my own groups and in the general public on Instagram that people just don't want to hear that, you know, and they're, they don't want you to tell them that you're they're, they're using the whole 30 as a diet because it's not designed as one. Okay. I agree with you. It's not designed as a diet and you're not supposed to use it that way, but there's a difference between intention and what something's actually being used as in practice. People are just drawn to extremes and anytime you give them a set of guidelines, they're like, okay, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna eliminate all these things too because our culture of values kind of being masochistic and having all this willpower and doing going the extra mile and you know depriving yourself of all of these things. So I finally realized <laughs> like a week into that group that I never, wanted to do it again. And I had started talking about probably last April. So almost a year ago now, I actually released a podcast that was called stop doing the whole 30 mm-hmm. and it, it ruffled a lot of feathers. And it's funny because I got a lot of blowback in the beginning of this year when, so this was, I think episode 57 of my podcast or 56 was I quit the whole 30. And that was my kind of like coming out of, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and people are like, you've never talked about this before. I can't believe you would say this. I'm like, go back 30 episodes. And I've been talking about this for a very long time, you know? And like, I obviously didn't want to say that outwardly because like, that's kind of sassy and rude. And it's like, well, actually what I decide to do and talk about in my own life is my business. And this is my business. So I get to decide the kind of content that I'm going to be putting out. And if that doesn't vibe well with you, then there are millions of other people in the world who are still talking about Whole30. And a lot of them have great information. So you're not going to get it from me anymore, just not from them or go get it from them. So it was really the straw that broke the camel's back in September because I just got so fed up with even people that were in my group were saying like, I'm terrified of introducing foods after the whole 30 because I'm so used to my yes, no foods basically. Or like, I don't ever want to introduce foods because I feel so good. And that is a very real fear that people have, whether they're doing an autoimmune protocol or the whole 30 or any kind of elimination diet. It's a legitimate fear, especially if you had a lot of painful symptoms or digestive symptoms or any of these things going on before you were doing the program and then you suddenly feel so much better. It's like, I don't want to go back to feeling how I was before. But the point of any elimination diet is not only a reduction in symptoms, but it's also the reintroduction of food so that you can create your sustainable life going forward. And my big sticking point was that I really enjoyed the Whole30, I think it was six years ago at this point when I first did it because it is a program that promises to help heal your habits and your relationship with food. And the straw that broke the camel's back was realizing that people knew that that the way that people were using the program 
wasn't healing their relationship with food. And one, it was still being marketed that way. And two, people were just saying, oh yeah, like I'm fixing my relationship with food by, you know, keeping out all these food groups forever. Like, no, you're not. Are you kidding me? And then the other thing that I realized later is like, of course the, you know, the whole 30 is a program and it's used as a diet. The only way that that is profitable, the only way that diets are profitable is because they expect you to fail. And if you do them over and over again, then the profits go up. And as soon as I like, I had known that with other diets, but I didn't really think about it with the whole 30 until kind of recently in the last couple of months. And then I soon, as soon as I realized that is like, you know, there's all this whole 30 marketing around. It's not a diet. It's healing your relationship with food and stuff. It's not healing your relationship with food. If the marketing is around, okay, there's an official whole 30 every two or four months throughout the year. Because if you use the program, you know, correctly, then you would do it once or twice and you would probably never need never to do, do it again. again. But yeah. that's not a sustainable business model. You know, so it was, it was all of these things. It was like my personal experience working with over a thousand clients on the whole 30. It was starting to realize that the way that people were using the whole 30 wasn't making their relationship with food any better. And then just all of these other things coming together and saying like, I kind of like the quote that we were talking about, like this was bubbling up inside of me and I couldn't not say it anymore because it felt morally wrong for me to not say what I was observing. I knew that there was no, in my opinion, there was no moral way or ethical way for me to continue to promote a program, which most people were using for weight loss and most people a lot of people, excuse me, are using as a way to yo-yo diet and is fueling binge eating tendencies and all of that kind of stuff. I couldn't promote those two at the same time because when you go to school to be a doctor, a dietitian, a nutritionist, the first thing that you learn is do no harm. You do not learn that when you become a Whole30 coach. And so for some people, it was not... Like for a lot of people doing another whole 30 was not going to be the answer for most people doing another whole 30 is not the answer. Right. And so I just knew in my heart and where I wanted to go in my business that I needed to make this split. It got to the point where I was like, I need to say this in a public way so that if people ask me why I'm not doing the whole 30 anymore, I can just be like, here, I I did a whole podcast about it. Here you go. And it blew the hell up and (laughs) it was kind of terrifying. Um, and I know we're going to get into that later. I feel like I've been talking for an hour, so. Okay. <laughs> well, that's how I found you. I found you because that post that you did on Instagram went a little viral in yeah. the community and a couple of the people that I follow shared it in their story. So that's how I found you. And, um, thank you so much for being so thorough and so genu- um, generous with your answer about, you know, what you observed through your experience. And I really, really resonated with you and your story because I felt very similar. So I wasn't a Whole30 coach, but my first set of health coaching clients were all like real food and weight loss. And I got to this point where I just felt like it's unethical for me to keep doing this with all of the information that I have and what I know about how diets uh, cause harm in our relationship with food and how repeat attempts at weight loss, like weight cycling is harmful for not only our physical body, but also our, our mental well-being. And so I just was so immediately drawn to your story. So thank you for sharing. And yes, that post went super viral and you got a lot of great support and a lot of backlash per use. Um, but before we dive into that, maybe let's talk about that, like what that was like. And then afterwards, let's go into your history with your own relationship with food. So just tell us a little bit about like what it's, been like since you posted that post that you were done? Yeah. I mean, since then it's been a lot better. The first week was definitely a shit show. Um, I luckily had a trip already planned with some of my best friends to go to snowshoe mountain in West Virginia to go skiing. And there is no cell service out there within two hours of you driving there. And it's about five, four and a half or five hours from DC. So it was great because I got to completely unplug and not notice anything that was going on. I kind of regretted that we even had Wi-Fi when we were there because I was like, I would have just loved to not 
even be able to look at my phone at all and not even to know that I couldn't look at my phone would have been awesome. Um, so that was great. Since then it's been all positive, which has been awesome. And it's been really great because I've been able to like with a clear conscience, like exclusively focus on the things that I know are going to be most impactful in the world and in helping people heal their relationship with food and their bodies and exercise, because we've all gotten to this place where we basically have like, and it's complicated Facebook relationship status that we all used in high school with our best friends, but with food and with our bodies and with exercise, because we all struggle with worthiness and vulnerability and the fear of gaining weight because there's so much stigma around gaining weight and people who gain weight are lazy and you know all this stuff and it's just it's been amazing because it's opened my eyes to this new world that I didn't even know existed before like I knew the body positivity movement was a thing and I was like oh this is cool like I want to start exploring more of this but the way that I was exploring it wasn't even from following body positive accounts or anything like that it was from learning the things in my own story and reading people like Brene Brown which made me realize that people you know can get caught in these cycles and people are afraid of vulnerability and how we use perfectionism as a numbing technique and alcohol as a numbing technique and food as a numbing technique and all these things and just making all these inferences from all of the reading that I was doing outside of the food sphere which was really interesting um, because I am a researcher at heart like I love doing this kind of stuff Um, and then as soon as I discovered the Uh, let's see, body positivity and more on the intuitive eating front and then health at every size and all of these um, health at every size and non-diet dietitians and stuff. I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. So it's been a very tumultuous, but also a pretty cool process because I'm able to come to people from the lens of and I know we're going to go into my story more, but I was able to come from the lens of, okay, I had an eating disorder and then I did multiple of these uh, gut healing and whole 30 protocols and stuff to try and heal myself, but like not really, cause I was still just using them to control my food. And then realizing that that's what I was doing and having to gain a bunch of weight and be okay with that in order to heal and come to the terms with gaining weight doesn't mean that you're an unworthy or unattractive or horrible person. And then finally come full circle and realize that even some of the things that I was doing in my business might've been fueling other people's tendencies, which like is not a great realization to have, you know? But I think that being honest about that and saying like, okay, I didn't realize this at the time, but some of the things that I was saying might've been triggering to some people. And that sucks because you never want to think that anything that you're saying, I mean, unless you're a whole horrible person, you never want to think that anything you're saying is fuel is fueling people's sickness or tendencies or patterns or whatever they are. And then finally coming on the other side of that, admitting that that was something that could have been happening, even if it was never my intention. And then coming full circle to say, okay, well now I'm going to help people get out of the cycle that I have been through my entire life until this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something really uh, profound about standing up for what you believe in and also just having that awareness, being able to witness what's happening around you and then then decide that you're going to shift and pivot and do something about it and speak up and raise your voice and be brave and bold and all of that. Uh, it's really, really cool. So tell us about your, your history with food and body image and all of that. Let's dive into that. Yeah. Um, so this has taken me a lot of, uh, interviews and journaling and working through to actually (laughs) figure this all out. Um, So yay, you're probably going to get the long version of this. Um, So I, starting from when I was a kid, I never had a good relationship with food. Um, That being said, all of my memories from my childhood are centered around food. Um, I was overweight as a kid. Um, We ate a lot of fast food, a lot of McDonald's. I remember specifically after swim practice, like deciding whether we were going to go to McDonald's or Popeye's after practice to get food quickly. Um, Because it's not like my parents didn't know how to cook or they were, you know, 
we were like very firmly middle class. So we had money to buy food. Um, but there was just no time. My mom was working all the time. My dad was working all the time. We had a babysitter, um, whose mother brought her over from Liberia because of the civil war when she was younger. So she would make us a lot of Liberian food, a lot of food from Ghana, which was really cool. Um, but then she would also take us out to McDonald's all the time and fast food all the time. And, I mean, we know when you're a little kid, if you're eating fast food all the time, it's not going to do great for your growth and, you know, your body size and everything like that, let alone what's going on in the inside. Um, and so I had also experienced the only, the only women role models in my life were constantly dieting. Um, my mom, her twin sister, all of their friends were constantly doing Atkins and there was South Beach and there was Ideal Protein and we had so many diet books around and I specifically remember there being cans of Slim Fast in our pantry and those were really the only role models that I had um, and it was really hard in school because I was one of the bigger girls and I just felt really uncomfortable around everyone else. I never wanted to wear tight fitting clothing. Everything I wore was loose. I didn't want to wear anything that would show off my size because I was just embarrassed of it. Um, in middle school and high school, I started to do competitive swimming. So, and I also had a growth spurt. So I started to lean out a little bit. Um, and then a couple of I wouldn't say traumatic experiences, but traumatic comments uh, were made to me in high school by an ex-boyfriend, by my mom unknowingly, by you know a couple of other people that really stuck with me. And so I went to a nutritionist uh, and realized that I was severely under eating um, and that I actually ended up losing weight by eating more, which was great at the time because it taught me that sometimes you have to eat more to balance out your metabolism. Um, but it didn't stop there. Uh, it's kind of like when you're growing your Instagram, as soon as you hit, you know, whatever goal you wanted to, whether it's 50 followers or a thousand followers, as soon as you get there, you're never satisfied. You always want more, you know, you always want that next goal. So that's what was happening to me with weight loss is as soon as I hit, you know, whatever the number was, I wanted to go down and down and down. And in college that developed into a full blown eating disorder. I was bulimic. I would skip meals. I was, I also had exercise bulimia where I would try and work off all of the food that I had eaten, even though I was restricting my food at the time by going to the gym for like three hours outside of swim practice when we were already practicing for three hour, four hours a day, sometimes twice a day. And it just, it developed into all of these really unhealthy patterns that then continued after college. And I didn't have any good role models around this because in college, it's so common. Like <laughs> you don't realize that you have an eating disorder because so many people do. Um, and I think that many of my friends didn't realize that I had an eating disorder because I was able to hide it better than most other people. Um, one of my good friends did get checked into a rehab facility and I didn't look as skinny or malnourished as she did. So never one, no one ever talked to me about it. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years later after I, I had been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue, leaky gut, hypothyroid, celiac, like all of these hormonal imbalances, everything from, which resulted from the bulimia, the eating disorder, the restricting my food, all of this stress that I had been putting on my body because I was also addicted to exercise. I had been an athlete my whole life and no one teaches you what to do as soon as you finish being an NCAA athlete. So I was terrified of gaining weight. So my first year after college, I signed up for a half marathon, having never been a runner before. I signed up for a new CrossFit gym. I signed up for power yoga, and I was doing all of these things every single day. So I was literally running myself into the ground until I got an injury. And then again, I was terrified of gaining weight, even though I was injured. Like everything was always going back to the fear of gaining weight because I remember how I remembered how marginalized and uncomfortable I felt as a kid being overweight, and I never wanted to go back to feeling that way. And 
it finally got to the point where I very specifically remember after doing, you know, multiple whole thirties and still being bulimic and, you know, multiple of these other, like I referenced before, I was trying to do all these different healing protocols to heal my symptoms and stuff. But really I was just trying to restrict my food so I could lose weight more while trying to heal at the same time, which like spoiler alert, you can't. But after doing all of that stuff, I very specifically, specifically remember being lying on the bathroom floor after coming home one night and just crying and saying, I cannot do this anymore. You know, and I just kind of like, I'm not a very religious, I'm not really a religious person at all, but I kind of had a, a come to Jesus moment or like here the universe is, it's like trying to tell you something. And I finally realized I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I was sick of my own shit. Um, and so at the time I had been working in political consulting, which was also sucking my soul. And then I somehow started to pull back on my exercise. I started restricting my food less and I was heading in the right direction. And then I got some kind of crazy virus or parasite or something. And I really couldn't eat almost anything without it coming back up for like three weeks. So I was staying home from my job. Uh, my parents didn't know what to do. I went to multiple doctors and no one really ended up figuring it out. Um, it eventually went away after I ate a gluten-free cupcake, which was strange. Um, but then I ended up quitting my job, moving back in with my parents and realizing that, okay, I need to start using food for true healing instead of food for restriction. So that's when I started my blog, um, which has been a very therapeutic kind of outpost for me because I was able to write about what I was going through in very vague terms because I didn't really come out as saying that I had an eating disorder until about two, maybe three years ago. Um, and of course, when you're first starting to reveal parts of your story, it's like, I had restrictive eating patterns. I had disordered eating. I had, you know, these tendencies. And then finally it's like, okay, fuck it. Like I had an eating disorder. Sorry if I'm not allowed to curse on this podcast. <laughs> no, you can curse. You can curse. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so after that fall, when I started my blog, um, I signed up for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition online. And that was super, super helpful for my healing because you finally learn that there is no one diet that works best for everyone. And all of these rules are just perpetuating this cycle. And like, this is why people yo-yo diet. And I realized like, wow, I could create a career of teaching people to heal themselves with food, you know, and I never wanted to focus on weight loss or anything like that. Although a lot of the first clients that I got were of course weight loss, because anytime that you say that you're starting a career in nutrition or dietetics or whatever, people assume that all you work on is weight loss, right? Of course. Um, yes. Exactly. So yeah. So when I was getting to the end of that program, I realized it wasn't enough for me because I am very much more like I love getting into the scientific research and everything like that, even though I never loved biochemistry or organic chemistry or any of those things. So I signed up for a master's program in nutrition so that I could become a CNS, which is a certified nutrition specialist where you have to get a master's degree. You need a thousand hours of clinical experience. You have to take national board exams, like the whole shebang basically. So I had quit my job in politics, had started an online program, and then I went back to school full time. Um, I also started swim coaching again at the time, which was really interesting because I could then also start to see how being a swimmer and being involved in a body conscious sport my entire life had also played into an eating disorder. Um, and a lot of the girls that I grew up swimming with, even though I hadn't really noticed it until I went to college, were engaging in a lot of these very restrictive kind of red flag um, warning behaviors before I was even able to realize it. Now in retrospect, everything is 2020. Like I can very obviously see it. And it's good that I can see it now because I do coach that very vulnerable age of kids. So if there are any warning signs, I can either, you know, very gently talk to them or talk to their parents um, and not say like your kid might have an eating disorder, but like, hey, I want to sit down with your kid and talk about how important food is for their performance in their sport. Because when kids are that young, even though they might be intentionally restricting their food, 
the level of kids that I coach are very focused on performance. So that's one way that I can talk about food with them and saying, actually, no, eating more food is better for you because otherwise you're not going to feel good. You're not going to swim well, you know, all of these other kinds of things. Um, so the education piece of going back to school was really, really helpful for my healing, but it wasn't enough, obviously. Um, the interesting thing about my journey is I never went to therapy. I never went to a rehab program or anything because I never admitted to anyone what was going on. Um, so that's one thing that I always like to tell to clients and people that I'm working with is that there's no such thing as I'm not sick enough to go talk to someone, you know, because everyone's shared experience is going to be different. And if you're at a place where wherever you are, whether you have an eating disorder or you just have these thoughts about restricting or controlling your food or you're stuck in a whole 30 cycle or whatever it is, if you want that to change, you are there enough where you should go talk to someone. I don't recommend that it's anyone super close to you because then you can have like a impartial third party observer. Um, but there are a ton of different, like I voraciously read books and podcasts and I did uh, positive affirmations and I did journaling and, you know, all of these different things. And it's been a very slow healing process over the years. And even having this podcast and getting interviewed on other podcasts has been very therapeutic as well, because I feel like every time I get interviewed and share my story, I'm able to open up a little bit more. And whenever you are vulnerable in sharing your story, it then makes other people feel more comfortable enough to open up and be vulnerable about their story to you. And then the process of healing can be much more broad. And by sharing our stories, we can kind of push shame to the side because one of the reasons that many people don't talk about eating disorders and these things is that they're shameful, right? Like there's so much shame about eating disorders, which is really messed up because in our country, people value the willpower and the determination and the control around food, but the extreme of controlling your food is super shameful because now it's suddenly an eating disorder. You know, it's just tangent. <laughs> um, that also drives me crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only way that you can destroy shame is by sharing your experience with other people. And that's one thing that I learned by reading Brene Brown. Um, which I only read her stuff in the past year and it has literally been life-changing. So if anyone has not read her stuff, would highly recommend. <laughs> mm, my client recommended one of her books to me. I don't remember which one, but it's on my list. So yeah. And I remember hearing you on your podcast talk about uh, how much Brene Brown has helped you. And you said so many powerful, relatable things. Um, and you had said that your healing process has been slow. And like you, I didn't get a lot of professional help, but I recommend getting it. Oh yeah, me too. And I'd love to know, why do you think it's so important to reach out and get help? Um, my healing process probably would have been accelerated by like five years if I had reached out and gotten help. And I think going for professional help is so helpful because you can share your story with someone in a space where it's completely judgment-free. It's by law confidential, right? By um, like the Health Insurance and Privacy Protection Act. Like you can't share anything as The first person that I shared my story to was um, Meg Dahl, who... Um, She's Meg, the RHN on Instagram. And we had kind of known each other for a little while. Um, we had talked on Instagram. We had talked on the phone a couple of times. And then I think we were just talking over Skype and catching up. And I just kind of like blurted it all out. And Meg lives in Canada. So we'd actually never met in person before. And she, even though we'd been friends for like a year or two, you know, online, having never met before, but talked a bunch of times, she didn't know enough about my life where I felt intimidated. And she had also never been a person who had been involved in any part of my eating disorder or any of the patterns. So that's why I said earlier in the podcast, I don't recommend first sharing your story with anyone who had, could have been an influencer or who might perceive that they could have influenced your journey, even if they had no part of it, right? So this is immediately 
immediate family, close friends, even extended family or anything like that. Like you really want to find someone who has no part in your journey whatsoever up to this point. And then it's so relieving once you start to be able to share your story because once you start sharing certain parts you then get more confidence to share other parts as well that might be you know dirtier or more shameful in your perception even though they're just parts of your story you know like we we all have stories and we all have parts of our lives that aren't glamorous and that we feel bad about and that we feel shame about and the shitty thing about that is like we shouldn't feel bad about these things because the reason we're going through them is because this diet culture that is so ingrained in the entire world and this fear of gaining weight and this fear of being not perfect and all of these things that just make us feel like we're unworthy. And when we feel like we're unworthy, this is why then we think we have to engage in these behaviors so we can be better and prettier and more acceptable and more loved. And it's more likely that we'll get in a good relationship. And it's more likely that, you know, all of these things, it's like the I'll be happy wins, fill in the blank. I'll be happy when I lose 20 pounds and then I'll be able to get into a relationship and then I'll get a promotion and then I'll get all these things. But the thing is like when you achieve those things, you're not happy because you just want more. And I know that because I achieved all of those things. I got to my goal weight. I got a job I thought I wanted, you know, I was in a good relationship, all of these things, but it turned out that I was never happy any step of the way. I wasn't happy when I started. I wasn't happy during the process because it requires so much restriction and over-exercising. And then I wasn't happy once I got there because I just wanted more. And on the job front, like I realized that I actually hated that job. And then on the relationship front, I realized that I had only been dating shitty guys for my entire life because I treated myself like shit. So I didn't know what it was to be treated right. So I continually went over or went after like the bad boys or people who just, they treated me like shit. And I never knew why I would always like go for assholes. You know, that's like the typical (laughs) single girl thing to say is like, oh, I just always go for assholes. Well, You need to take an introspective look at yourself because if you are unknowingly treating yourself like shit, you are also inviting that into your life. And I know that might be super controversial, but that has been my experience. And that has been the experience of a lot of people that I've worked with. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in an esoteric way, you attract what you are, you know? Exactly. Yeah. The energy you put out, you're going to attract as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think what you had said is that in the beginning, you recommend getting help because it would have sped up your healing journey. And that's always one of my, one of my points of view as well is like, can you heal on your own? Of course. It's just most likely going to take you a lot longer and it's going to be more difficult. Like healing your relationship with food is really, really hard if you don't have somebody in your, on your side, like in your side of the court, supporting you, guiding you, loving you, helping you when you feel stuck. I think that when we don't get help, we're so much more likely to like relapse or to fall back into old patterns. I just can't recommend getting help enough. And a huge part of the reason I became a coach is because I wanted to be for other women what I wished I had for myself. Yeah. And if you want to spend less of your life hating yourself and controlling your food, like wasting your life basically on years that you spend not only not loving your body, but not accepting your body and focusing all of your energy on calorie counting and macro counting and all these hours at the gym. Like I can't even tell you how many hours I got back from my life because I no longer spend three or four hours at the gym and like an hour or two or three, either meal prepping on the weekends and counting all of my calories. Like I have so much more time in my life to do productive things Yeah, or not productive things if I don't want to. Yeah. The other brain space and the mental energy and the stuff that you get back is incomparable. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's priceless. And I loved how you talked a little bit about the achievement trap, about how you just think you'll be happy when you get something. And like, when we get there, it's temporary. It might feel good for a minute, but then it's just a matter of time before we need something else to achieve. So we can get that little hit of feel good. Mm -hmm. We really have to just work on the inner stuff, like the deep inner work and get right with yourself. And then you won't need all of those external achievements to make you feel good. You'll just feel good regardless of the external circumstances, but that's a lot, that takes a lot of work and that takes a lot of introspection and a lot of being 
honest with yourself and taking a, you know, being like, yeah, where is the sense of unworthiness? Where is the sense of needing to achieve coming from? One of the things that we have in common is a passion for real whole foods and cooking. However, many people in the anti-diet space think that by having this passion, we could still be influencing the good versus bad food paradigm and or clean eating. What do you say to this? What's your perspective? How can the two coexist? Yeah. So this is a really tricky one because in the diet and anti-diet space, on the one hand, you have all the like fitspo and clean eating and, you know, those people say real whole foods too, but it's only certain real whole foods. And then they definitely demonize the processed foods and, you know, high carb foods or high fat foods or whatever it is, you know, whatever not on their specific list. But here's the thing, like if we followed all of their lists, there would be nothing left to eat. Anyways, then on the other side of things, you have the anti-diet community, which is founded on uh, helping people with disordered eating and eating disorders and health at every size and everything. And they say that, you know, food has no morality and we shouldn't make any of these foods lists. Like we shouldn't even focus on real whole foods because all foods are created equal and that can also create a dichotomous relationship. So from a clinical nutrition standpoint, we have to be somewhere in the middle. But from a body image and relationship with food standpoint, you always have to start with food has no morality. There are no good and bad foods. There's no food that's going to like immediately make you healthy. There's no food that's going to immediately make you sick the same way that there's no food that's immediately going to make you skinny or immediately make you insidiously gain weight. So first you have to do whatever way you choose to interact with food, first you have to do that work to truly convince yourself that there's no more restriction around food. There's no morality around food. That being said, we do know that depending on your individual constitution and your genetics and the way that your body interacts with certain foods, there's some foods that are going to make you feel really good. And there's some foods that are going to make you feel like shit. So the way that I approach that is a healthy body is a body that feels good from the inside out. Now that body has no size, right? It could be a smaller person. It could be a larger bodied person. It could be, you know, wherever you are on the spectrum of bodies, because there is health at every size, right? But at the same time, a sick body is a body that probably feels like crap from the inside out. And your food choices are a big portion of that. So like the only foods that you shouldn't quote unquote eat are the foods that you are allergic to or the foods that make you feel like absolute crap, right? Or if you have something like celiac, then I can't ever eat gluten. And like, I don't think of gluten as the demon anymore. I just know that it's going to make my body literally attack itself. So I can't eat it, you know? Um, but I think those are the only foods that are off limits are the ones that you're allergic to. If you have celiac, you can eat gluten. Or if you feel like absolute crap, then nobody should tell you that you should eat that food. And the interesting thing is when you get into the clinical nutrition space, you realize that different foods have different effects on different people. So I have a client when she eats strawberries, she feels absolutely horrible. I have another client when she eats Brussels sprouts, she feels horrible. Those two things are inherently, you know, quote, healthy foods, but they're not healthy for that person because they make them feel like crap. For me, if I eat a cake filled with gluten, I'm going to feel like crap. But if I eat a gluten-free cake, I feel pretty good, you know? So I think the only middle ground is figuring out what are the foods that are going to work best for you without having any uh, morality or judgment around those foods. Because like, I feel really good when I eat potato chips. I feel really good when I eat chocolate chip cookies or a banana bread. I don't feel good when I eat ice cream because my stomach is like, uh, no, Dana, that's way too much dairy for you. So I figured out if I want ice cream, I need to go for dairy-free ice cream. Otherwise I feel like crap and that's not worth it to me. You know, it's not because I'm putting restrictions on those foods. It's because I don't want to feel shitty. So I'm choosing not to eat it. And so I think that's where intuitive eating comes into this really helpfully because if you are truly able to be intuitive with yourself and you're eating foods that make you feel really good most of the time, you're going to start to be 
the best manifestation of health for you. And no one else besides you can tell you what that looks like. That being said, even this kind of list is if someone is, or, you know, this kind of protocol, I guess, or structure of foods, this could also be kind of triggering to someone if they're in the throes of an eating disorder, right? So in the process of recovery, I think like, honestly, the strongest people I know have been the ones that have gone through an eating disorder and come out on the other side of it. Because even acknowledging to the world that you've had this problem that is so stigmatized and so wrapped up in shame is one of the most courageous things that you can ever do. And so part of the process of recovery is also knowing yourself. And if that means that this process is a little bit triggering to you and you just need to say, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, then that is something that is completely valid as well. We obviously don't want to go to the other side of things and say, oh, well, I only feel really good if I eat chicken breast and rice and spinach. Like I would argue that there are more foods that you would actually feel really good eating if you weren't so afraid of eating them. And then that being said is there are some underlying gut or autoimmune or medical conditions that can make people feel like crap when they eat certain foods, but that doesn't mean they should never eat those foods again. That means you need to see a functional doctor or integrative medicine practitioner or a nutritionist to figure out what is going on underneath so that we can increase the amount of variety that you can have in your diet without having any morality around food. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like what I'm hearing is that it's individual. Number one, it requires you to be honest with yourself and it comes from legalizing all foods. So detaching the morality. And I think a lot of it is a result of the diet mentality and getting yeah. to a place of empowered choice. So you're at this place where like, you don't feel like you, can't. I know you said, oh, I can't eat gluten. I don't, what I'm hearing is you don't actually feel like you can't eat gluten. Yeah. You know, you can. Yeah. <laughs> just don't want to. Right. Yeah. That's what I heard from you in your speaking. So you've mm-hmm. got to this place of empowered choice around it. And I think that that's where, where the sustainability and the intuition and the healthy relationship with food comes from is that it no longer feels like something that you shouldn't do or that you can't do. It's something that you're choosing for yourself. Right. Exactly. It's this really hard, intricate dance to find the middle ground because sure you can eat fast food and you can eat processed food and you can eat artificial sweeteners if you want to. That being said, there is a ton of research around specifically artificial sweeteners that said they can be damaging to your health, but if you eat them every once in a while, you're not going to die, you know? So it's like, what is your gray area? And I think starting with learning to listen to your body and finding the foods, whatever they are that make you feel good from the inside out is a really good starting place. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. If you're listening to your body and you're eating Cheetos and Oreos days on end, I'm pretty sure your body's going to be talking to you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With lethargy, lack of sleep, bloating, poor digestion. Yeah. Right. Your body's going to be talking to you. So if you're listening to your body, you're going to actually be like, God, you know what sounds really good right now? Like chicken and salad. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think people are afraid. They're afraid that they're never going to get to that point. And sometimes yeah. you just got to move through that period of eating all of the things to be like, wow, actually, I think I'm sick of Oreos. Yeah. And I would say most people do have to go through that period in order to truly convince themselves that they're not going to have any restrictions. And in that period, we are super vulnerable because you've made the decision that you don't want to have these restrictions anymore. But then when you're finally like, okay, I can eat all the things like, okay, I I never keep Oreos in the house, but I'm going to try and keep them in the house now. And then you binge on the Oreos and you're like, oh my God, I'm right back to where I started. But if you just use that as like a data point, or a learning experience and say, okay, like clearly I've been restricting myself from these for a really long time. And this is why I felt the need to eat them sometimes to the point of sickness. Sometimes that just kind of has to happen a couple of times for your body to realize that I promise you, I'm not doing restriction anymore. Uh, All right. One last question, Dana, what advice do you have for your 20 year old self? Yeah. So I actually wrote out my answer here because I didn't want to forget. <laughs> and it's funny because I just talked about this um, on my Instagram last week. And I um, said, if you could write a letter to your 10 years ago self, what would it say? Which would put me at 19. Um, and so I said, mine would say this. You are enough exactly as you are. Your weight doesn't matter. There are no good or bad foods. Eating salad doesn't make you morally superior to someone who's eating French fries. 
Obsessing over food, your body, and exercise will not make you more worthy or more happy. It's not worth it. Get rid of the I'll be happy whens, like I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds, fit into a size, whatever. If you're not happy with yourself now, you won't be happy when you hit your goal weight or whatever it is. You'll only want the scale to go down more. Spending endless hours in the gym will not make you happy or healthy. You can't make up for what you eat by killing yourself in the gym or restricting your food. Your self-worth is not determined by how much you weigh, your BMI, your body fat, how little you can eat, or how long you think you can stay on the treadmill. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and be who you are. And then if I could just like give one book or even one quote to myself 10 years ago, um, it would be The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And I love this quote so much. It says, Yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. So I wish (laughs) that I had been able to say that to myself 10 years ago or 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, you know, when I was around between eight to 13, when I was that really overweight kid and I felt so uncomfortable in everything about my body and in my clothes and in my swimsuits and everything that I was doing because I was bigger than all of my friends. And it was just, I understand why people are afraid of gaining weight because it is really uncomfortable and the judgment that goes around that and the weight stigma and people assuming that you're lazy and have no willpower and that you automatically eat like shit if you're overweight for whatever reason, I get it. And it's crazy that I'm able to say that I get it when I was 10, you know, and I was experiencing that. Like I now am coming from more of a thin privilege perspective as an adult. Like I've never been you know, if we're using the BMI, AKA bullshit measuring index, um, of like obesity and overweight, like I've never technically been in the obese category. I've been in the overweight, you know, quote unquote category my entire life, but that doesn't compare to the weight stigma stigma that someone experiences if they're a hundred or, you know, or 50 or 200 pounds more than me. So I have nothing but compassion for basically everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the belief that, uh, larger bodies are, uh, inherently less valuable than thin bodies is serves no one. None of us win in that framework. Except the diet culture industry. Right. Yeah. Well, and the people trying to impress <laughs> us for sure. Right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your letter to yourself. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Where can everybody find you? We've talked about it in the beginning, but let's just repeat it. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me. Um, my name is Dana, in case you forgot. Um, and my blog and Instagram, Facebook, all the things are real food with Dana, all spelled out. I should change my tagline to like morality, not included, um, or something like that. <laughs> uh, my podcast is called Real Talk with Dana. Um, and that's pretty much all of the places. Thank you so much for being here, Dana. Thank I appreciate you. your time. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, isn't Dana hilarious? I really love her new tagline or potential new tagline. Real food with Dana, morality not included. So funny. Um, I hope you guys liked that episode. Um, If you're someone who's struggling with your relationship with food and you've thought that another Whole30 is the answer or or like Weight Watchers or just another diet, um, I hope that this episode helped you realize that another Whole30 is likely not the answer, not the solution, rather, you know, really working on the emotional stuff and the relationship with food stuff uh, is actually the answer. And sometimes it's the more complicated, it's the less clear, right? I think we like diets, we like Whole30 because it gives us this set of rules and it gives us this like sense of clarity and like we know exactly what the next 30 days are gonna look like and there's like this certainty it's like, if I just follow the rules and do this, then I get this result. And it just feels so like certain, right? And then like, but not doing another Whole30 and working on healing your relationship with food. Who knows what the next 30 days are going to look like, right? Like, oh, that's so scary. So I get it if that's where you're at. Um, and Dana gets it if that's where you're at. Um, okay. 
If you guys liked this, pretty please go leave a ratings and review on iTunes, all right? According to my analytics, most y'all are listening on an iPhone. So please go do that if you liked this. That really helps the podcast keep going. It helps iTunes show it to more people. It also makes me feel really nice and warm and fuzzy inside. (laughs) I'm just being really honest with you. Um, If you don't know how to leave a review, like shoot me a DM. Uh, I will show you how. Um, And share it. On Instagram stories, I love it when you guys do that. Like, I wish you could see the big grin on my face when I, like, pop open my Instagram, my messages, and, like, one of y'all have shared the podcast. That's, like, kind of the greatest feeling ever. Um, Because I really believe in this message, and I really want more women to hear it. So if you got something out of this, if it's benefited you, if you've learned something, if it's inspired you, uh, please share it. Please, please, pretty please. Um... Yeah. Okay. Have an amazing day. I love you. I'll see you next week.